Guys, UFC London recap, and uh, eh, not a very good week. Six and six overall, just mediocre at absolute best. Top ticket manages to save us, <clears throat> just not a very good week overall. Reads were kind of off, bounces were off, uh, just not a not a good week. But anyways, you know, you come off good ones, you hit good ones, you get good reads. You know that these cold streaks are going to come around. You just don't want to lose the top ticket. If you lose the top ticket, we're losing ten units on this thing. You bet, it, you bet it properly, that top ticket, half that bankroll that you have allotted for the event. You know, we try to get it near even. What I tweeted out was minus 160. But again, if you listen to the Dogger Pass preview show, you could have beaten the three of those lines by 300 points. Like Patty Pimlet's a minus 400 on the show. He goes off as a minus 750. Gunnar Nelson's a minus 325 on the show. He goes off as a minus 800. Ilya Tapura is a minus 450 on the show. He goes off as a minus 750. So... That top line would have looked a lot better. Here's the other little thing, which is like bad bounce. And I know this probably sounds sour, but I, I never like putting three guys on the top ticket. Like going two, two, and two, right? That's the way we always tweet it out. And I say for UFC events, especially, there's a lot of risk for UFCs. You don't want three guys on the top ticket. So originally, the top ticket is supposed to be uh, Ilya Tapuria and Gunnar Nelson. So that would have hit. And it was even money. The second line was Patty the Batty and Nathaniel Wood. The Nathaniel Wood fight got scrapped. And then when I tweet them out on Saturday, I never use the lines I got. I never use the lines we use on the show. I never use the openers. I use what is very current. So that's why it was shit. And that's why you had to go three guys on the top line just to get a minus 160. And then the rest bombed out. So it was a week where we were lucky to protect ourselves because we'll get to the Tapuria fight. Like it could have easily gone the opposite way. But I'm just counting my graces that we got out alive. Anyway, starting at the bottom because it don't start off very well. Muhammad Makaya versus Cody Durden. Everybody this week loves Muhammad Makaya. I don't really love him all that much. I, I could see him winning. I don't have any faith that you know, either way, it's the PRP pick. It's all the way at the bottom. There's 12 fights on the card. The 12th least confident play I got. I just got a bad feeling about these 21-year-old kids. Is he ultra-talented? No doubt about it. But at 21, I still think that there's a lot of growing. When you're fighting full-grown men in the UFC, something could go wrong. Now, Paul Shossi and I did discuss it on the show. There's wanting to fade a guy, and then there's fading him with the right guy. Now, I, maybe I made the mistake of thinking that Cody Durden was the right guy. Or maybe it was just he never had a chance. Like, Mohamed Makayev did as great as a UFC debut as you could possibly find. Does everything right. Goes in there, smashes him with the flying knee, grabs a hold of the neck, chokes him out. About as good as it could go, 58 seconds into the first round. Like, ah, this one was when I got egg on my face because everybody loved Makayev. And Makayev is a guy that you could have used, and people did, at the top of the ticket. This is where I screwed up this week. Everybody had the three guys that I had, right? We all had Tapuria. We all had Nelson. We all had Patty the Batty, right? But a lot of people were really high in Makayev and Aspinall, right? And I wasn't on either. Those guys are the guys that profited this weekend because they were able to tie it together, make it good. I- I'm able to survive at best, if not slight loss. Not so good. But Makayev looks real well. Uh, now, how much can you take out of this? Do you think in his next fight, he just goes out, smashes the guy flying, he chokes him out? Are the cardio issues going to come up? Does he have cardio issues? I don't think so. But, but, the issues that you thought he may have coming in, I don't think that anybody's test. Durden certainly didn't test him enough to find out anything. He slammed him. Big deal. Got choked out in the process. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. Maybe I got to jump on the hype train or maybe I got to see a few more fights. But this was about as good as it could possibly go for a young prospect, 21-year-old. So huge, huge. Should have been on it. Wasn't, sadly. Lise Reed versus Corey McKenna. This is another problem. So I have faith in Corey McKenna. She ends up being the fourth most confident play on this card. She ends up being slotted onto that second ticket. And I think the forward motion, the pressure, the wrestling, she's going to beat Elise Reed. This is a case of Corey McKenna can beat Elise Reed. And man, that was some bad coaching out of Danny Castillo. I have no, I have nothing else to say other than bad coaching from Danny Castillo. Fight starts. Elise Reed is clearly the better striker, Taekwondo base. She's able to uh, just basically maximize her space and she's getting her kicks off. She's landing a beautiful right hand. She's the faster striker. She's the sharper striker. And she's just landing the better strikes, more volume, better output. Better selection. Everything's going her way. McKenna lands a takedown. Fine. Don't know what, what what she waited so long for. She's waiting in. She's being aggressive. She's trying to get her hands going. But ultimately, the takedown is how we're going to win this battle. She even says so herself. So striker versus grappler battle. So why are you striking with the striker? Take it down. Does take her down. Has some success. Lands some decent ground and pound. Elise Reed's able to get back up. And then lands a couple of good strikes to end the round. So how do you score this round? Well, when I've got a lot of investment on somebody, I'm thinking, I'm thinking my worst case. My worst case is Elise Reed did win that first round. And I'm leaning towards Elise Reed won the first round. Yes, there was a takedown from McKenna. Yeah, there was a little bit of ground and pound. But we needed more of that, and we needed earlier and, and just consistent. Like, you've got a great gas tank, so let's just put the pressure on her, break her down, 
Use the takedowns. How does she lose fights? Takedowns. Let's get to that game plan. She goes to her corner and Danny Castillo, team alpha male, head coach, wrestler, you know, college wrestler, guy that made a career out of wrestling, goes out there and he's basically just like, oh, yeah, great work, great work. Oh, yeah, this is how this is how you should approach the second round. Strike some more. Strike some more. The entire game plan here, striker versus grappler, he's telling his grappler to go out and strike some more. So second round, she does awful. The second round is very clearly read, in my opinion. You, again, McKenna, I shouldn't say awful. Like, it's, it's close enough. It's women's MMA. It's a striking battle. But the, she's not winning the striking battle. She's losing all these exchanges. She's getting beat up. And in fact, at one point, at least Reed starts being the aggressor and backing her down. Doesn't look good for the optics. The striking number, or the striking numbers are in Reed's favor. This is uh, it's not going good. So now I have to hope. What's my what's my worst case? My worst case is I'm down to nothing, right? What's my best case? My best case is that it is in the UK. McKenna is the clear favorite. Maybe they gave us the first round, but they didn't give us the second round. So. We're going we're gonna to need a screw job robbery, and it hinges completely on the third round. So going into the third round, Danny Castillo tells her more striking advice. He's like, oh, you're trying to pull the left hand off. Split, split the right. Split the right. You can take her down if you want, but strike. And she's like, okay. And she asks him, is it one and one? What are the scores? No, no, we got that one. We got that one. You're good. She's down 0-2. But I mean, he's telling her that it's 1-1, right, or that she's winning the fight. And she should strike some more. And then she's just not as stupid as Danny Castillo, so she shoots a takedown early in the third. And that was the key, man. You can get her to the ground. You can hold her down for a little bit. You can land some elbows. Make it look good. Get the crowd fired up. Terrible game plan fought by Corey McKenna. And I largely credit that to the coaching that she received on fight night. So it's a split decision. When they announced that Derek Cleary had it 30-27 McKenna, I was like, oh, screw jobs in. Screw jobs in. Second judge goes 29-28. Reed, okay, he was actually watching the fight, but all we need is one more. Fans are on our side. Let's do it. But it was the right card. It was an Elise Reed card. So they rolled this thing back 10 times, and Danny Castillo didn't coach her. She'd have a lot more success, but I think she can definitely win this matchup. She could have definitely won that fight last night, Saturday in the UK, but fought a terrible game plan, and she deserved to lose, and she did lose. So uh, that one hurts because now I'm reduced to that top ticket. Um, in terms of what it looks like on Twitter, I only got a minus 160 roll. It's a losing night. In terms of what I've got, I'm big on my top ticket here. I've also got a bunch of tickets that have Nathaniel Wood on them. So whatever, I'll just get pushes on those. But I had a lot on Corey McKenna. She was a second ticket play. Same thing with Krylov, who we'll get to. Wasn't in the cards this weekend. Wasn't a good week. Jack Shore versus Timur Valiev. Uh, we like Jack Shore. Again, I think that he's another one of these undefeated guys, 14-0, but... Undefeated amateur. It's like 17 and 0 as an amateur. I think he's riding, wasn't 17 and 0 as an amateur, but he's riding a 27 fight on beaten streak. Undefeated as an Amy and a pro. Looks like he's getting better. One of these really tough, durable uh, Welsh guys. The good strikers, they're good wrestlers. They got good cardio. They got great chins. Is there any one area that they're specifically really good in? No, not not really, but they're good generalists. And I like Jack Shore. Timor Valley, of meanwhile, well, he's got a lot of advantages on paper. He is faster. He's probably got the better striking. You would think he's got the better wrestling, probably trains at a higher level, got more experience. Well, there's things that you could like about Timur Valiev. But similar to Gregory Robocop Rodriguez, it's not that he has a bad chin. It's that he doesn't wear punches particularly well. Like He's not getting knocked out, other than the Trevin Jones fight. But uh, he, he gets hit, he goes down, and it's all about how it looks to the judges. And that's kind of what screwed him. Jack Shore gets the win. First round, Valiev is just outlanding him. Again, he, I think he outstrikes him like 30 to 22 or something. He's landing better. He's beating him to the punch. And looks good. Yeah, it's in enemy territory, but that's a team or value of first round. The second round starts. Jack Shore sits him down. So as soon as he drops him with a knockdown, it's like going to be very difficult for Timor Valiev to get back into this round. Drops him with a knockdown, gets on top of him, has a little bit of top control. Valiev gets back up. And again, Timor is doing well once he gets back up to his feet. He's recovered. He's fine. It's not like he's hurt, but it looks really bad to the judge. So now it's a 1 1 going into the third. <laughs> wouldn't you know it it's the same thing you know, he just he drops timor valiev right and that knockdown ends up being the most significant jack shore had a much better third round i think that one's pretty clearly his either way the second round is a close round but the knockdown helps out a lot and then, and ultimately if you were going to bet timor valiev going in the future you would go into these matchups knowing geez i got a guy here with great striking right he trains at a world-class gym you know trains with the likes of frank yeager and Aljamain sterling a lot of a lot of the good guys down in new york who also spend time with uh mark henry he's got experience, he's got wrestling, he's one of these cast-iron Russian guys, but like, mm, that's a problem, maybe not cast-iron, you know? A- anybody seemingly can hit this guy and hurt him, wobble him, 
And even if you fight a great round, but you're getting wobbled, you get hurt in that round, you get knocked down. The judges won't give it to you. That that's is going to be a red flag for him moving forward. Jack Shore, meanwhile, you know he's an absolute gamer. You know he's got 15 minutes. You know he's going to push the pace. You know he can do everything well. He's still young. He's still getting better. I really like. I liked him in this matchup. Unfortunately, any investment I have in Jack Shore has already been melted down to zero because of Corey McKenna. So, what 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 can you do? He was the right side. I wish I had more investment on him. I just unfortunately didn't. And it's not like he cruised in this matchup. It wasn't like he was lucky either. It was a tightly contested fight. The knockdowns are what saved him. Paul Craig versus Nikita Krylov. This is one of those coulda, shoulda, woulda moments in MMA. These are the, you're splitting hairs and you get good bounces and you get bad bounces. Nikita Krylov had, had knocked him out. At least from what I've seen, he, he had knocked him out. <laughs> he comes out, they clash right away. Krylov bobs him, hits the ground. This is where you don't want to be. And of course, Paul had mentioned, had length, the fact that he had, Krylov has terrible ring IQ and would probably take him down and settle up in his guard. That's a problem. At first, he's just in half guard. So what the, what the hell is Paul Craig going to do from half guard, right? Uh, but then he gets aggressive. He starts landing some good ground and pound. It opens him up. It looked like Paul Craig had gotten knocked out. He wakes back up. Dude's a gamer. He keeps fighting. He's great jiu-jitsu. Jiu-jitsu is about defending yourself, and he keeps in it. And then I don't know what happens to Krylov. I don't know if he gets tired. I don't know if he gets over antsy. But his stupid-ass ring IQ comes back in favor. This guy's out on the ground. He's hurt. He has absolutely zero striking. Why not just back up? Why not just back off, let him stand up, and then just smash this guy with a head kick? Smash this guy. He's got excellent striking, Nikita Krylov. But instead, he's just like, you know what? I'm just going to stand over him and guard and punch him. And now, geez, he's a six foot four opponent. He's got long legs. I need to clear room to punch him. He just dives straight into his guard, right into the triangle choke. And it's not as if he dove into the triangle choke as much as he dove into the guard. And the guard is nasty, nasty, man. It's like a Ziploc bag. Air goes in, but it don't go out. Like he snatched up that triangle so fast. It's like sticking your head in a buzzsaw. And you know why nobody has a good... I stuck my head in a buzzsaw story because you don't live to tell the tale. Nobody has a good, I got out of Paul Craig's triangle choke story because it's just never happened, right? As soon as he got that thing locked in, there's a minute left. I just fucking walked away. Bad bet, bad bet, but could have been a good bet. He almost knocked him out. Again, you fight 10 times. Like it's MMA, anything can happen. But that's the beautiful thing about MMA, especially if you had Paul Craig because you'd be thinking, ah, shit, I'm done. And then uh, boom, he makes magic happen. It's a magical sport. Anything can happen. It's the equivalent to a buzzer beater. Paul Craig hit a hell of one. So I guess I'm betting against this guy because clearly he's dangerous in every single matchup. And clearly his opponents are just not smart enough to not go to the ground with him. Jamal Hill had great opportunity to just back away. Didn't take it. Krylov had great opportunity back away. Didn't take it. Both of them paid. Both of them paid indeed. Sergey Pavlovich versus Shamil Abdurakimov. Pavlovich is a, goes off as a pretty big favorite. Again, here's another guy that you probably could have used a lot higher up. I probably should have used. A lot higher up. I just had a bad feeling, you know. Big heavyweight usually fights for only one round. Abdurakimov seems to be a little bit shot. Can't take the same punches that he used to be. But it's heavyweight, you know. Like, everybody's got power. So, he still moves well for a 40-year-old man. He's still got some pop. Like, he could be a bit of a problem for for uh, Pavlovich. But Pavlovich has been off for some time. The word is that he's been training really hard, working on his cardio especially. And he fought good game plan. Like, normally he's more of a bum rusher. Come at you and just throw this time, he just stayed very, very patient, allowed Abarakumov to kind of lead the dance, throw a couple strikes, and then he would just look to counter. Big uppercut smashes him. He actually landed two good uppercuts, and then that right hand that put Abarakumov down. You see the way this guy's built, man? Like, you don't want to get hit by him. And if he's going to fight the proper game plan of just, like, conserve, conserve, wait, and then unload on guys, similar to a Derek Lewis, like, why overexert yourself? when you can just wait for that big moment. He's going to be winning fights in this division. I don't know that a lot of guys can take that power, but he still seems very stiff and rigid, and he had just fought a 40-year-old man. So, again, uh, I think Paul Shaughnessy tweeted it. Like, uh, well, see, I think Curtis Blaze just takes him down, but Curtis Blaze is chinny, so it's a different, it's a difficult matchup for him. And for Delkis, meanwhile, Delkis might be a little bit chinny as well. Again, it's heavyweight. If you've got power, you can hang with any of these guys on any given night. Pavlovich looked like he could potentially be a player in the division um, but I don't know how much you can take away from Abdurakimov. And the takeaway for him is that he's he's likely done at this point. It's not that he doesn't still have the skill set. It's that now that you're 40, I think he's lost four, his last four or five losses are, are all by knockout. They're usually pretty bad knockouts. 
you know, there's probably something else he could be doing. And that the UFC is going to be bringing him back just to do this over and over. Not that marketable for them either. Could a Bellator pick him up? Could a PFL pick him up? That's probably more than likely. But uh, it's up to him if he even wants to continue on at this point. Macwanamir Connie versus Mike Grundy. Again, this one's my fault because I'm a full-grown man. I make the final choice at the end of the day. But I kind of got persuaded a little bit. My own fault. There was a lot of Grundy talk this week. Everybody likes Grundy. Every time I just scroll through my news feed real quick, multiple people hit me up to be like, Grundy, Grundy, lock it in, top ticket. You know, how does he lose this fight? It's like, man, everybody likes Grundy. Well, how does Grundy lose this fight? Well, I don't know. They both got bad cardio. Grundy's got bad ring IQ, but he's got the striking advantage. And if they're, it's wrestler versus wrestler, right? Both of them are negated by their grappling and the fight stays standing, then Grundy will win it. Sure. But I guess I, one thing with Maquan is that he's got a nasty guillotine. He's got a nasty darts. He's got a nasty front choke. You've seen him use it in the UFC a few times. And you've seen him just miss it a few times in the UFC. Where it's like, oh, he's got Burgos done. He's, he's got somebody done. And they're able to survive. But you know he's a great position he loves to go to. I don't know if Grundy was trying to prove a point. Because, again, I thought he had better striking. So, like, why not just strike with this guy? But he shoots the takedown. It's like he wanted to be like, my wrestling is better than your wrestling. I'm going to take you down. Shoots a takedown right into a Macwan's move. Macwan is very fresh because it's all of 30 seconds into the round. And uh, he did a great job of adjusting. And it looked like Grundy was kind of out at first. It was just a simple guillotine choke. He kind of, his head was deep in it, but his body wasn't wrapped up. He wasn't in guard. Looked like he'd be able to pass. His problem was that the cage was off to his right-hand side. So he couldn't pass off to the right-hand side. And then as he's figuring out what to do and maybe trying to fight the hand, you can see Maquan like shrimping, like shifting, getting his angle, and then he switches it. Once he switched the grip, he had the thing locked in. Grundy did a good job to flip over, but again, the cage is stopping him. And then the last sequence is you see Maquan's trying to turn into him and fish one of the legs. Grundy would just need to just keep peeling away. I mean, you got to make sure that leg doesn't get snapped up. At this point, he's been in the choke for so long, he's probably already going to sleep anyways. But if the leg gets hooked, he's absolutely done. Macwan hooks the leg. You know you're done right there. Uh, the ref, It didn't look like he was out, but the ref had the best vantage point. He felt the arm. He knew he was out. Macwan chokes him unconscious. You know, beauty of MMA. You just never know what's going to happen. But again, that goes to Grundy fighting a dumbass game plan. Like, Macwan does have bad cardio, so... So why are you shooting your head into his best move right off the get-go? Like, why not keep the fight standing for at least the first round, outstrike him, feel him out, tire him out a little bit. And then if you want to wrestle him in the second or the third when he starts to tire, if you think you got the superior gas tank, push the pace on him. But to shoot in that early, it was like a bravado thing. Like, I'm going to take this guy down and show him what, what's all about wrestling. Wrestling. He says he's a wrestler. He's also a grappler, dog. <laughs> Choked you out. Choked you out, Macwan Mirakani. Uh... It's not that I would have picked Maquan, I don't think. Like, even if the noise didn't get to me, it said I would have had it way lower. Like, I didn't have any faith in this battle either side. And then the love for Grundy made me get thinking, maybe I'm just maybe missing something. And maybe I was. Like, maybe Grundy does win this fight if they fight a few times. But with this game plan on that night, not the move. Not the move, dog. Not the move. Elite Deporia versus Jay Herbert. So clearly I'm having a really bad night. Very bad night. But that top ticket, right? This is what's got to save us. This is what's got to save us. And it, you could go three... Or top ticket is usually two, but in this case, you, you you go three and nine. Doesn't matter. The top ticket is what we need. And Ilya Tapuri is the guy I like the most. He's the guy I like the most on the preview show. He was a minus four fifty favorite. I think he rolls in the spot. I think he's kind of everybody's darling this week. Yeah, he's moving up a weight class, and I think that's pretty well noted. He's a Jay Herbert. He's a little fragile, right? He's a little fragile. We all love Tapuria. You know, we don't care for Jay Herbert, who's got a great skill set, but just never puts it together consistently enough. So seems like a walk in the park, right? Uh, not not so much. Tapuria comes out. He's obviously being the guy that he's moved up a weight class. He is noticeably a lot. I wouldn't say thicker, like the dude's dense. He's got a lot of muscle, but he's a lot shorter. And he, he's coming up short on the punches. It's like an eight inch reach advantage or something for Jai Herbert. But Jai's moving excellent laterally, and it's causing Tapuria to kind of chase a little bit. And as he's chasing, Jai Herbert's putting that reach to good use. And he's just touching him up, touching him up. Now, Tapuri's a guy that likes to sling these bombs. You see it in the Damon Jackson fight, he just bombs the body. You obviously saw it, well, in this fight. But he's swinging wild, and he's, he's coming up short. It's allowing Jay Herbert to get a read on him. And then, boom, boots him in the head with a head kick. Tapuria drops. It doesn't look like he's out, but obviously we're in a panic at this point. He just got floored with a head kick. He reaches up. Jay Herbert falls him to the ground. Probably not the move. You probably should have just let him stand back up. But of course, when you got an opponent hurt, the natural instinct, and you never want a guy to recover. And then everyone says, why didn't you jump on him? Why didn't you jump on him? 
So he does attempt to pounce on his downed foe, but Dupree does a good job of turning into him, getting up, getting the wrestling going, takes Jai Herbert down. And honestly, at this point, I'm feeling good. I'm feeling good. Even though we just got dropped, I wanted this to be a wrestling match. Dupree's a black belt. He's got strong grappling. We've got the fight on the ground. Jay Herbert is about to get smoked. Not so. Not so. Tepori, it was probably because he's hurt. His face is busted up. He's bleeding out of his nose. His ground game didn't look all that good. He didn't get no ground and pound off. He wasn't really able to improve position. Jay Herbert's able to regard. Jay Herbert's eventually able to get up. So now, now I think I have a problem because as soon as Herbert gets back up, it's much of the same. Like he's throwing knees up the middle. He's throwing techniques that are not quite landing. But it's all it's all dangerous situation stuff. It's all firing. If you get touch the fire, you're going to get burned. Tapori has kind of got a maybe a problem on his hands. He needs to wrestle, wrestle, wrestle. And he got the takedown. Didn't really do much of it. I'm also getting flashbacks to the Zalal fight, use of Zalal fight, where he got tired the later the fight went. And I'm thinking if he gets tired, he's hurt. If he gets tired and his wrestling's not as effective as I thought, we're screwed. We're screwed. Not only are we screwed, on a personal level, I'm gonna lose a pile of money. But I also tweeted out why people should put this guy in a parlay as a minus 750 favorite. Man, I'm going to look like an idiot here. Man, I'm going to look like an idiot here. They come out, they say the live betting odds still to Puria. And I'm actually, okay, like we're not out of it. It's just like a terrible start. Second round starts, Jai Herbert doesn't look quite tired yet. Like he's moving well, but you can tell from his body language, he's deflated. Like he's not throwing anymore. He's not throwing his jab. He's backing up and he looks super cautious. And Tapuria looks pissed off now the commentating team made an excellent call and as he's hurt as he's wobbled as he's bleeding in the first round they're like ah these guys from georgia they're really tough yeah yeah that was an excellent call excellent call because he mustered up that georgia strength and came out the second round and was just like time to die herbert and came at him hard man he was swinging he was swinging everything and he was swinging with bad intentions the fact that in the first round he was coming up short on those punches because Herbert's fresh and moving well. The second round, it wasn't that he was moving well. It's that he didn't want to engage with him. He just knew, like, oh, man, the end is near. Tapori's getting a little bit closer. He's starting to find his rhythm. He's starting to find his range. He backs him up close to the cage. Herbert's got nowhere to go. And that combination, body, head, ooh, thing of beauty. Dana was should have been writing that 50K. Right, apparently, he gave away a lot of bonuses, but you should have written up that 50K right there. That was an unbelievable knockout. I felt for Herbert because it wasn't one of these – Oh, yeah, he got knocked out. It's like he got knocked out. Wasn't known to have a great chin to begin with, and, like, he's crumpled up. And the broadcast is, like, not trying to go to him. He eventually does get to the stool. But, my God, before he hits, like, an absolute truck. I remember going to the Damon Jackson fight back when I would tweet out some props. We like Taporia by TKO, right? Why not Taporia by TKO? He only had one career TKO in. Was a grappler. But Damon Jackson can't take a great punch. Worked out on that night. Turns out Damon Jackson's a lot better than I gave him credit for, but... Deporia just throws heavy. Now you see him get this knockout, and it's like, okay, this is what makes him a legitimate prospect, preferably at 145 pounds. At 55, he did look a little bit outgunned, a little bit outsized. But at 145, like, he can grapple. He's very strong. He's got good wrestling. He's got good striking. He's got massive power. It's probably going to translate even better down at 45. He could be a problem. But his striking defense still needs work. Maybe it was the large opponent. Maybe it was the range. Maybe it was this and that. Maybe he just got clipped. Who knows? But it's not like he's a super refined, precise striker. He just has a lot of power, and he's willing to get in your face and throw it. And, of course, his wrestling and his grappling seems to be there. His cardio, I mean, he had his nose broken at first. It looked like it was busted pretty open. I uh, was breathing out of his mouth. But he came out in the second round looking fairly fresh. So I like I like Ilya Tapuria. He saved the day from the grips of defeat, the jaws of death. But uh, we got – I wouldn't say we got lucky. The right man won. It was, it was a sweat. Molly McCann versus Luana Carolina. Like Molly McCann, you know, Paul and I talk about it. It's women's MMA. You don't want a whole lot of investment there, but she's at home. She pushes a pace. And when you look at Luana Carolina, like her biggest wins, it's Lupita Godinez. Godinez doesn't strike to enter the pocket. She just enters the pocket and grabs a hold of her. Whereas you know Molly McCann is can do it all. N- not do it all at a really high level. She, she can do it all, and she will do it all. She'll try to grapple you. She'll try to strike with you. She'll apparently throw crazy techniques like spinning back elbows, which I really did not see coming. Her cardio is there. Her pace is there. And beyond that, she feeds off the crowd. She fights in the U.S. There's nobody there cheering for her. She still feeds off a live crowd. She fights in the apex, probably wouldn't get behind her. She fights behind, like, a European crowd, has her following behind her. The girl's just fired up, fired up, ready to go. 
first round, this and low key, uh, I didn't tweet this out, but I lost a Molly McCann to my decision. Um, it was plus 110. It was like, well, she's going to win. She's just going to grind her, right? And I, I, I was, you're in trouble right from the get-go. She comes out right in the first round, lands a couple big left hands on Luana Carolina, rocks her, pushes her back. Looks like the ref's looking, have, having a look at it. I'm yelling, come on, Molly. Like, don't finish her this quick. Like, give me a chance here on this decision prop. And uh, Carolina does a fairly good job of recovering. She's able to get into the clinch, try to kind of slow the pace down. But McCann has an excellent first round. She's all over him. She rocks her a couple times. I, I don't know if I would give it a 10-8 round, borderline a 10-8 round. You know, some people did give it a 10-8 round. But I, but I kind of felt like she was. She didn't drop her with a clean knockdown, get on top of her, bust her up. She's bleeding. It's close to the end of the round. It's like she rocked her early. Carolina recovered. They fought a little bit. It's a super dominant round. Maybe it's a 10-8. I just kind of thought it was a 10 Second round, it's like, oh, man, Luana Carolina's starting to fight her way back into it. She is way longer. She does have an eight-inch reach advantage as well, and she's putting it to good use. She's using the teeth. She's using knees in the clinch. Like, she's starting to fight the long person game plan, and that's more effective. Molly McCann is not slowing down, I don't think. It's just she's kind of reckless. Like, she comes over with at you with the same thing over and over. Even her punches, none of them are straight. But, like, these, like, windmill hooks over the top. So, Carolina just starts fighting a well-more-adjusted game plan in the second. She is out landing her. Molly McCann gets the takedown, right? Luana Carolina gets back up, starts out striking her again. I don't know how I score the second round because it's, it's very close. The striking is towards Carolina. The ground game and the grappling is towards Molly. And then Molly picks her up and dumps her with like a Matt Hughes slam right in the center of the cage, like five seconds left, smiles at the crowd. That's got to give her the round, right? Come on. It was a close round, big slam. You lean towards Molly, but they show the numbers. It's like 18 to six in the striking for the round two in favor of Luana Carolina. So, it was a closer round that you would like. But anyways, I think we're up 2 nothing. We're in her backyard. She's a fan favorite. Everyone's hot. They're cheering. Everyone's fired up. Uh, we're going to win a decision here, right? Third round, Carolina starts around pretty good. She's coming at her. Molly McCann maybe thinks she's up two rounds, but she's not doing a whole lot. In fact, I thought Carolina was winning the third round <laughs> until Molly just blasted her with a spinning back elbow. And uh, she was out the whole way down. She hit her, and they always say it's the shot you never see coming. She never saw that thing coming. And she was out before she hit the ground. So she just crumples with the canvas. You know, it's done. Burnt up ticket. It's one of those nights. Um, but good stuff for Molly McCann. Cause she's like not the most talented, but she is a giver. She just goes, 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 goes. She entertains the crowd. She's got a very fan friendly style, jumps over the cage, celebrates, you know, her teammate, Patty Pimblett gets a win later. You see her in the cage. Like it's just, just good stuff. Good stuff. Now her, coming into the ring or somebody handed her like a replica UFC title after just beating Luana Carolina. I don't, I don't think it's ranked in anybody's top 15 anywhere. Also has like less than 10 pro fights. I don't know. That would have been her 11th pro fight. I think give her a title after that win, which by the way, was a spectacular finish, but like the second round was pretty close. And the third round, she was losing, uh, I don't know. I don't know. She was fired up, though, so let her have her moment. It was just one of those things. It was a bit of a head-scratcher. The teams have been fighting all season long to secure their shot at being crowned a champion. Just as the teams are in pursuit of glory, DraftKings Sportsbook is giving their new customers a shot at royalty with 40-1 to odds on any college basketball game. Just bet $5 on any college basketball team to win their next game, and if they win, DraftKings will pay out $200 in free bets. DraftKings Sportsbook has nearly endless ways to get in on the action from same-game parlays to future betting. Feel the sweat with DraftKings now! Don't worry if you've already been taking advantage of this offer. There are still plenty of ways to get in on the hoops action with DraftKings Daily Fantasy. DraftKings offers nearly endless opportunities to make it rain with their Daily Fantasy contests, which have millions of dollars up for grabs every week. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now. Use promo code DOP. Throw down just $5 on the college basketball game of your choice to get $200 in free bets. If the team you choose wins, that's code DOP at DraftKings Sportsbook. Gunnar Nelson versus Takashi Sato. Gunnar Nelson, he's on the top ticket. He's going to be in the top ticket pretty much the whole get-go, even though he's been off for a little while. The UFC's done a good job here of giving him the perfect opponent. Sato does on paper have a little bit of power. I think he's got like nine knockout wins. 
So maybe, maybe he catches Gunnar Nelson, but it's like his ground game's not quite there. His volume's not quite there. His, I don't think his cardio is quite there because he tend, generally tends to fade down the stretch and get submitted the later fights go. So it's a tailor-made matchup for Gunnar Nelson, and he's like a minus 325. Of course, by the time you send the tweet out, he's ballooned up massively. So would he have been worth it at that price? Like, I don't know, because now you're thinking red flag has been off for a long time. So I am low key nervous about this matchup and the fight starts. And like, I don't know what's into Gunner. Like he never throws a whole lot of punches. So he stayed into the outside using his karate uh, stance to kind of pick and choose one shot at a time. Goes with a head kick. It gets blocked, gets in a nice little body kick, maybe throws a partial right hand. He's not throwing shit. Takashi Sato, luckily enough, ain't throwing shit. Like he's just literally standing in front of him, trying to stalk him, but not letting his hands go. So it's going towards Gunner Nelson. But Gunner keeps trying to like, tie up with him like a, like a Greco-Roman clinch. Like he's trying to clinch up, but he just, he'd extend his arms and like try to grab a wrist or a bicep or maybe grab a neck to try to enter it. And it was just getting shucked off every time. This goes on for like three minutes. I'm getting pretty frustrated. I'm yelling, shoot a single. Cause I've seen Gunner shoot singles. He's actually pretty good. Good timing gets tight on the leg. And even though he's not the most technical, like the strongest guy to just rip you down with a single, he can create a scramble off it and scramble is all he needs. Get low on this guy. Stop trying to clinch him up. By the way, Takashi Sato is a judo black belt. Gunner had been working specifically on judo in camp. So he's trying to grab him as if the guy's got a gi on. That's, that's what he was doing. Finally, he gets low, shoots, his, uh, shoots the takedown, gets him down. And it's just like, oh, this is easy money. Why not do that earlier? Uh, easily passes, takes the back. looks like he's just going to choke him out right then and there. But he's taking his time. Takashi's just two on one in one of his hands. And Gunner's landing these little elbows. And he's just like single, like chopping shots. Man, they sound like they're doing a whole lot of damage. Like I don't know if Sato just hangs out in this position for so long, but definitely a 10-9 Gunnar Nelson first round. Second round, it's like, again, just get out the wrestling right, right off the get-go. Should take down right off the get-go. But he's got a karate guy, and he does an excellent job of just avoiding all the damage and staying to the outside. But he's playing with his food a little bit, just get the fight to the ground. So eventually, again, decides to shoot low, get the fight to the ground, takes his back again, and then he's just not pushing the action. He's not trying to open up. He's not really trying to get at Sato. Sato's been rear naked, choked a few times. You know, it'll be there for you, but he's very patient. So second round, he just completely controls him. Doesn't, doesn't really get close to a finish, but it's just a very controlling, smothering effort. And then the third round, Sato catches him early, busts his nose up, causes him to bleed a little bit, but... And he just shoots the takedown. As soon as he gets the takedown, just another, another easily passes to the back, puts both hooks in, and that's the end of it. But again, you hear Bisbing say he's like on, in the third round when he takes the back, he's like he has an opportunity here to not put the body triangle in, just put two hooks in, flatten him out, and then start looking for some ground and pound. Look, look for a finish. As you ground and pound him, then he'll make a mistake. Then you can grab that rear naked choke. Maybe transition for an armbar. Maybe maybe try. He doesn't need to push it. It's his first time in a long time. You know, like he, he can do whatever he wants. It's that I think he was just trying to get the ring rust off, get the cage time in. It didn't really seem like he had any sense of urgency, but he dominates to a 30-27. So he was top ticket worthy and good stuff from Gunnar Nelson. But uh, people are clamoring to see him fight like a top welterweight again. I, I, don't, I don't know that I am. Like Takashi Sato represents a guy that's, maybe top 25 like is he top is he a fringe top 25 guy he has no takedown defense he clearly had zero clue how to avoid getting his back taken he was able to survive i give him credit for that but like this is just very tailor-made for gunner and and that's all he did he just took the safe route and won very easily and for a guy that i have the top uh, on the top ticket that's how i want you to fight yeah yeah don't take any risks like who gives a crap like everybody else on this card taking risks and they're getting bonus money you're not gonna get any bonus money gunner but he got the win. That's all that matters. Patty Pimlet versus Rodrigo Vargas. Kazulo Vargas. Patty Pimlet. We got him on the top ticket. We didn't want him on the top ticket. We wanted him on the second ticket, but we still had a lot of faith in this guy. We thought that, uh, you know what, uh, he, he's going to come through. He's at home. He's got good grappling. And whether or not you believe he's the truth, I don't think he's the truth. I think his striking is a work in progress. He's defensively still liable. He's got some liabilities to his game. His wrestling, not all that good. He's got very good grappling, and it all comes down to matchups. They're tailor made matchups. This being. A tailor-made matchup. I don't know if they hand-selected Vargas on paper or if the matchmaking team did an excellent job of hand-picking Vargas for them, but he's a 36-year-old boxer who sits very flat-footed on his feet. Like, all, all three of his fights in the UFC have seen him get out-grappled in spurts, and yeah, he's got a decent leg kick, and he seemingly can fight 15 minutes. His grappling's a massive liability. Beyond that, he gives up his back all the time, and whereas you can get away with that against Zurong, and you can get away with that... I, Alex Andrade beat him with the back take. Didn't choke him out, though. 
Patty Pimlet is a good grappler. That is the one thing, good thing to his game. He's not super physically strong. He's not an excellent striker. He's not all these different things. He's got good cardio, heart for days. He's got good grappling. So as soon as he got the back, but anyways, it didn't start out great. Like Kazula Vargas looks like he's mad dogging him the whole time. He's just mean mugging him, runs across the cage, punches him square in the face and takes him down. Uh, didn't really see that one coming. Bad start. Vargas is on top. And I'm thinking to myself, Patty's just going to make some magic happen. Like throw up a triangle, throw up an arm bar. Definitely going to do something. He's not really doing much. The time's just ticking away. Like Vargas is on top. Nothing much is really happening. Like I'm not feeling great about this because if this round ends, it's a Vargas round. And now we got to make sure we win the next two or secure that finish. Uh, I go, we, again, this is another guy that I have now publicly advocated to, that you should bet him on a top ticket. That's minus 750. It's not good advice. If this guy loses, bad news. Bad news for me on a personal level. Bad news for anybody who tailed out the tweets, right? Patty, make it happen. Patty gets up, all right? Good, good. He's just getting pressed into the cage. Not much sense of urgency, but his corner's right there. And then, uh, boom, tosses him. I don't know the specific judo term, but uh, it's like a judo trip, right? Tosses him, like a hip toss, right into side control, takes the back, all she wrote. You know, gets he's yelling at the ref. It's actually like a pretty sweet move. Like, it's a veteran move. Uh, whether the guy's grabbing your glove or not grabbing your glove, he's fighting your hands, okay? So when you start yelling to the ref, oh, he's grabbing my glove, he's my glove. The ref gets in. As the opponent, you're like, I'm not grabbing his glove, but it causes you to lose focus. Your sole focus here is fight the hands, is fight the choke, is survive. And now it's being introduced because you can hear you're still conscious. Man, he's grabbing my gloves. You're thinking, I'm not grabbing his gloves, right? The ref's looking. You're trying to acknowledge to the ref, like, I'm not grabbing his gloves, I'm just grabbing his hand. And as this even goes through your head, as those thoughts even cross over you've already been chucked off and as he's yelling he's grabbing my glove and you see vargas kind of acknowledge it it sinks in right tight right then and then you know it's over vargas taps nice win for patty he gets up he dances the crowd goes wild he's got star potential i don't know that he's got star potential talent wise but there is differences right conor mcgregor was he, he had the star qualities and he also he had championship qualities right nobody can take away from the fact that he went out beat some legitimate guys at 145 pounds won the title doesn't matter that he did defend it he goes out and he beats Eddie Alvarez, was legitimate at the time. He, he was the lightweight champion. He had big moments because he did have skill. Did he start biting off more than he could chew, trying to fight Habib, trying to fight Floyd Mayweather, and taking a year and a half off, two years off, coming back to fight, you know, the top guy in the division like a Dustin Poirier? Like, like did he? Okay, sure. But he has a whole lot of skill. Now you've got other guys that's got star potential, like a Sean O'Malley. Sean O'Malley's got star potential. People love him. He talks a great game. He's got a podcast. He sells merchandise. But he might not be that good. Okay. He doesn't want to fight guys in the top 15 for a very specific reason because he knows what's good for business. Winning is good for business. People don't give a shit if he goes out and beats Guido Canetti. People don't give a shit if he beats non-ranked contenders like Chris Moutinho. They don't care. They like him. They like to watch him perform. They like to watch his podcast. They like the personality. But can Sean O'Malley win a UFC title? No. No. Can he be a star for them, sell pay-per-views, sell merchandise, sell interest? Yeah, yeah, for, for, for sure he can do that. Patty, same thing. Patty's over in Europe. He's got enough star-making potential that, you know, the, the American fans already like him. People are buying the wigs. People are getting behind him. He's got the funny haircut. I watched this fight with my girlfriend, and she's like, how are you doing tonight? I'm like, not very good, not very good. She's like, you're getting killed? I'm like, I need this Patty Pimlet guy to come through. He's the last leg of my top ticket. That would save me for the night. I need this Patty Pimlet guy. So it shows Patty, it shows Kazula Vargas, and she's like, You bet you bet the guy, the guy with the, the hair? And I was like, Yeah, yeah, the guy, the guy on the left. I got the guy on the left. She's like, I, I thought you were good at this. I was like, well, I'm not sure I'm good at this, but the guy on the left's gonna win. She's like, Oh man. And, and the fight starts, and the whole time she's looking at me, looks like, mm-hmm. Mm. But he gets the job done. And I think that's his it part of his appeal. It doesn't look super menacing. He's got the funny look, he dances. He talks a great game, and then the UFC says, not the UFC, the media is like, do you want to fight Elite Tapuria? Because that's a great little storyline. And he's like, I don't want to fight guys in the top 15. Boom! Shikashan O'Malley style. So uh, I like what he brings to the table. I like that he came through, made the adjustments, got the win for me. Beyond that, I think he's just uh, good for business. I think the UFC can get behind a guy like that. They're going to match him up a lot slower. They're not going to go in that Tapuria matchup. I think it's something that will eventually materialize down the road. And based on performance for performance, well, I guess it's hard to compare. Tapuria faced some early adversity, but Tapuria's grappling didn't look as good as I thought, possibly because he was hurt. Don't know. But Jay Herbert was able to easily survive and get back up. And 
if his grappling is not that good, then maybe it creates an avenue for Patty. Because I don't think Patty can strike with Taporia. Although now you know Taporia is, it's possible to clip him with something. It, it makes the matchup a lot more appealing is that you saw Taporia go through some bad spots. And now you're thinking, oh, well, maybe Patty can make something happen. But I don't want to see that fight happen. Not right now. I'd like to see it two, three fights down the road. And again, Patty's there for a good time. So let's have a good time and give him some more matchups like this. Slightly more difficult. You don't want just straight routes all the time. And I don't want to get him at minus 750 ever again. Like, give me a more bettable price tag. But uh, yeah, don't just throw him into the, the lion's den quite away. Arnold Allen versus Dan Hooker. So like, I, I've slowly inched my way back into this since the Amir Khani fight. We got Deporia, we got McCann, we got Gunnar Nelson, we got uh, Patty Pimblett. Three of those guys were the top ticket. You know what? Maybe the Knights slowly, ever so slowly, getting back on track, right? I think we're six and four right now. So if we can round out these last two wins, not that I have anything meaningful on it, at least we can just kind of get through eight and four, top ticket. Let's just survive and get over to next week, right? So Arnold Allen versus Dan Hooker, like Dan Hooker. This is another case to me, personal level. I'm sure most people don't agree, but. This is another case to me of just like a really bad game plan. Like Dan Hooker fought a really bad game plan. Now there's a lot of people talking about Arnold Allen, how good he looked, you know, championship material, and this extends his long win streak, and it's the biggest win of his career. And they want to see him in, you know, top five matchups coming up. Yeah, you can't take anything away from his win, but you got to wonder like if these camps really tape study, if they really look at the footage or if they're just like, I'm going to get in shape and I'm going to put my skill set up against his skill set because it would have seriously benefited Dan Hooker to just watch Arnold Allen's last fight at length. So did Yusuf did the exact same shit. He got over aggressive fight starts and he's just, I'm going to get in this kid's face and pressure him and just run the girls ring gets in Arnold Allen's face and puts a massive amount of pressure. Arnold Allen's got a back pedal. He's got a back pedal. And you know what he does? He takes two steps backwards and he plants and he throws. And he throws heavy. Most guys, when they're fighting off their back foot, right, they don't get much power off of it, right? He's planting, standing his ground and throwing. That's what wins him the fight with Sodi Kusev. He gets outstruck in the first round, but Sodi gets too close, too close, too close. Arnold plants him, blasts him, drops him in the first round, doesn't finish him, wins the round. Second round, the guy's getting over antsy. He's getting pressed. He's pressing against him. Allen sits down, plants him, ends up getting a head kick partially blocked, wobbles him, plows him over, right? Third round, Arnold Allen's up two rounds. I don't know if he just fought to survive. I really don't know. This matchup here against Hooker, I'm thinking if Hooker stays at the outside, uses his volume, he's just going to go up. Like, Arnold Allen doesn't throw a ton, but he, what he does throw is nothing short of heat. Love to throw heat. Don't pressure him. Don't get in his face. Don't push him back towards the cage because he's just going to plant his feet and throw on you. And Hooker doesn't move his head. He's tall. He's a lanky opponent. And these guys that are tall and lanky, it's a they, they got it's a tall man syndrome. The head's always up there. Bad game plan. The fight starts, and he was just like, oh, I have a reach advantage, a height advantage, essentially a size advantage. I'm just going to stand right in through the pocket. He was like trying to hold him. He was like walking straight with his head up in the air, trying to hold him. And Arnold Allen did the same shit. He backed up, he backed up, he planted, and he smashed him. And I'll give Dan Hooker one thing. He took about four or five clean blows to the chin after he was wobbled, and he took them. Allen uh, then shoots a takedown, which I thought was ill-advised, because Hooker's essentially out on his feet at this point. So trying to take him down, like, you're just buying him some time. Maybe he's going to recover a little bit. Doesn't get the takedown. And then it looks like Hooker's recovered enough where he's like, got his wits about it, like he's back with it, but he's got a concussion at this point, and his reflexes are shot. He was so much slower after he recovered. Like, everything he threw, the jab was just out. He'd throw a knee up the middle where it's like his head would go straight up and the knee would go straight up. He was uh, a walking liability at that point. Now, it looked like Allen maybe tired himself out a little bit, threw a lot of punches in that uh, initial sequence, but he wasn't. He wasn't. He was just going back to what he was doing before. He, okay, well, I'm just going to wait for a hooker to get over aggressive again and come at me, and I'm just going to plant him, sit down on a punch and plant him. And he did. Hooker started to recover a little bit, so he started to try to chase in and throw some elbows and throw two punches at a time now and throw that knee again. And He was already concussed. Like, he was basically the walking dead. I don't know he fully knew where he was at. He might have, again, knew where he was at, but his timing and his reflexes were, were gone at that point. And uh, Arnold Allen made him pay heavily. So I like Dan Hooker this week because he was an even money play. I thought, you know, he's got the veteranship. He's got the output. 
And I think he could win this fight. I really do. I really do. But that was not the way to approach it, man. Like, state of the outside. And I'll give one last thing to Arnold Allen. Arnold Allen started the fight off like two or three really heavy calf kicks. Maybe that's what caused Hooker to be like, shit, I can't stay at range. He's going to chew my leg off. And that's what caused him to just enter the pocket like that. Dude, that wasn't it. That wasn't it. And here's the scary part for Dan Hooker. He's still young, right? Is that he drops... Okay, so he's 32. That's really not all that young. But he at 45, Daniel Levy mentioned it. I didn't really put it together. But he's got a 500 record at featherweight. So he's never a good featherweight to begin with. Moves up to lightweight. Goes on a killer little run. Gets into contention. Loses that lightweight. Says he doesn't want to tread water anymore. So he comes down to 45 and gets blown away. So now you're irrelevant at 55. You're relevant at 45. That's a tough spot to be in. The weight cut, 32 years old, probably not great. Was that why he got knocked out? I don't think so, because he took some clean shots early. It's just you can't take that many clean shots. Nobody can, right? But but there's the problem for him, is that his entire career has just been his ability to take absolute damage and not get knocked out, right? He's fought, oh, I would say, his best fights. Well, yeah, his best fights, he knocks the guy out fairly quickly, right? But the ally Quinta fight, you know, they go back and forth. The Paul Felder fight, he took a lot of damage in that Paul Felder fight. The Dustin Poirier fight, which is a five-rounder, he took a lot of damage. By the way, the Felder fight was also five rounds. So now he just went 10 rounds of just absolute carnage. And then Michael Chandler knocks him out. That Edson Barbosa fight he had been in back in the day, he took like a, a life-changing beating in that one. Nazrat easily submits him. Or sorry, uh, Hack Paras, he, he easily beats. Makachev easily submits him. No damage in those ones. Chandler was the only guy that knocked him out. He was known for being able to take these beatings. Took it against Felder. Took it against Poirier. Edson Barbosa stopped him on a body shot, but his head was always in check. And Chandler knocked him out. He gave him a pass. Uh, Chandler's a murderous power puncher. Hooker's defensively not all that sound. Just a bad matchup. Now you see Arnold Allen plant him down. Arnold Allen wasn't really known for his punching he clearly can hit and the way he throws everything behind it it's gonna make do some damage but i think the writing's on the wall for him he's one and four in his last five fights now he's taking a lot of damage he's getting older and he doesn't really know which weight class to fight and he's probably dropping down to 45 to find some of the magic that had has been eluding him and he did not find it here gets knocked out pretty bad early in enemy territory and for arnold allen you'd love to see him fight a little bit more because he generally only averages about a fight a year but he's talented, man. The guy can wrestle. The guy can strike. The guy clearly has good ring IQ. He's come made comebacks in fights, like the Mads Brunel fight. Just He knows how to make in-fight adjustments if he needs to. A win over Sodi Kusef is nice. A win over Dan Hooker is very nice. He's moving his way up. We just Nice to see a little more activity. And Tom Aspinall versus Alexander Volkov. So this is another one. I probably should have listened to the public on this one because everyone loved Aspinall. Even dating back to last week's card, people were like, hey, I'm looking to make uh, parlays in advance and i really like tom aspinall would you suggest putting aspinall in some parlays some of the guys from last week i was like no i i, I don't think so like early look sure aspinall could win then i tape studied it and i got i got stuck on this one point that was if the fight goes on beyond a round or two that it would be alexander volkov's right because aspinall finishes everybody early in the first round the one time you got saw him get extended beyond the first the andre fight maybe Maybe cardio didn't look great. This is scheduled as a five-rounder. <clears throat> but uh, shout-out to Lucrative MMA. A few other people in the community had mentioned it. They're like, it's a skill set thing, right? It's a skill set thing. And we can all agree that Tom Aspinall is faster than Alexander Volkov. Okay, we can all agree on that. We can all agree that Tom Aspinall hits harder than Alexander Volkov. Okay, he's got better boxing. Maybe a better striker. Okay, we can all agree that he's faster, and he's more athletic, and he hits harder, and he's a better striker. We can all agree that he's probably got the better wrestling. Do we know for sure because he doesn't wrestle a whole lot? No. But just Volkov's kind of always had a takedown problem in his entire career. And then we can all agree that Tom Aspinall has better grappling. You know, he's BJJ black belt. He's actually quite good on the ground. So so what is what is Alexander Volkov, guys? Like, well, it's got the cardio. Things gets to the third round. It's like, that's not enough to back a guy. Now, I didn't back him with any type of real confidence. Again, I think I put it lower. But Aspinall on minus 145 would have just juiced everything. It was one of these things if you had Aspinall higher up, you were looking to make some money, and the people that backed him made some money. Congrats on that one. Bad read for me. Why back a guy just on the basis of cardio? I don't know. But even the lines maker, funnily enough, interestingly enough, considering Tom Aspinall uh, finishes so early all the time, the fight to complete one round is like minus 210. The fight to complete two rounds is minus 170. The over the fight to complete three rounds is even money. So the bookmaker is suggesting they think the fight's going to go a few rounds. I'm thinking the fight could go a few rounds, and if it does... 
that's when Volkov will have a shot. But a plus 115, there was not nearly enough dog money to, to back it on cardio. And truthfully, and this is going against traditionally what I do, the move would have been to put Aspinall on the top ticket and just hedge out if you like Volkov. You like Volkov? You think plus money on Volkov is fine? Okay. Well, then why not put Aspinall on the top ticket with <clears throat> Ilya Tapuria, which almost would have lost. And then on the second ticket, you could have had Gunnar Nelson and Patty Pimblett. Then you could have hit your top two. You would have been good. The minus 145 on Aspinall would have juiced it up. You would have had a hedge out option. I just went against what I normally do. And this is just one of those weeks which just wasn't very good all around. The fights were fantastic. We watched this sport first and foremost because we're fight fans. We love the entertainment. This is a very good card from a, a viewing standpoint. From a betting standpoint, uh, took a couple le- licks, took a couple lessons, a uh, bit of a humbling experience. So anyways, move on to next week. Next week, we normally record on Wednesday. I've actually decided, you know what? I had a good start to the year. Why push these spots? This week was humbling as well. So I'm going to Cuba for a week. So I'm taking off Tuesday. I'm going to ask Paul if he wants to shoot the show Monday. If not, maybe there's not a dogger pass this week. You guys are going to be left to your own devices for one week. Then I'll be back, ready to go. But uh, I just need to lie on a beach. I need to hang out, enjoy some mojitos poolside, and just hang out. So uh, I will hopefully see you guys for an early episode of Dogger Pass. If not, hit me up before Monday or hit me up before Tuesday. It's flights at like 6 in the morning or something stupid. And yeah, unfortunately, unfortunately, we didn't crush it for some nether huge win on this card, and you got something great to think about on the beach. But, but, it's not always going to be like that, right? 52-week season, we've been very fortunate to be on the run that we were on. We were very fortunate to hit the top ticket here and just survive. That's all it was for me. I didn't profit like some of these other guys. Congrats to them. Congrats to everybody that did hit. If not, hopefully we can get it back um, the next time around. Till then, I will see you guys later. Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you, with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.